Uh, we are looking at Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we've been looking at sort of the Christian life as a response to the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul has uh, first talked about our relationship to each other in the church. Uh, then he talked about our relationship in family. So we, we had some discussion about husbands and wives and how they should uh, treat each other. Then about our kids, how our kids should be raised as Christians. And now uh, we're talking about work. And so last week we talked about the employee's responsibility as a worker. And this week we're talking about uh, the role of the boss and what the boss should see himself at, what the Christian supervisor uh, should be like. So we read from verse 23 of chapter 3 all the way through 4.1. It reads like this. Whatever you do, uh, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So, uh, first thing that should be pointed out is that as the boss, if you are in a supervisor role at all, you are not the master. <laughs> now, our text uses that phrase um, because in the context of the Colossian culture, the vast majority of work was really the work of uh, masters and bond servants, uh, sort of like an indentured servant. But in our day, of course, in our culture, you are not given that same sort of authority. Uh, typically, a bondservant was something like, like this indentured servant, and it should be remembered that though slavery did exist in the ancient Roman world, it was not the same as the more modern American uh, European slavery that was so often race-based and had other uh, strong differences. We won't go into a large discussion there, but, but nevertheless, uh, bondservanthood was a form of slavery. Um, so we can't, as supervisors, we can't think of ourselves as the master. Uh, nevertheless, it's the closest equivalent we have in Scripture to the relationship between employee and employer. It's uh, in that context, that's the closest thing we have. And the first thing we have to, we have to note in Scripture that is just radical that happens in the New Covenant is that in the eyes of God, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, all the Apostles declare something scandalous. That the bondservant, the one born with lowly, no-name status, and the master born with a silver spoon in his mouth, in the eyes of God, are entirely equal. This was, it's so hard for us to understand because we are so used to thinking in terms of equal rights. As Americans, we're sort of, we're, we grow up entitled to it. We expect that that should be a major foundation of our thinking. We recognize that we haven't accomplished it yet in many ways, but we strive for that ideal. Let me tell you something. Before Christianity, that was not an ideal in the world at all anywhere. This is directly a result of Christian teaching. Christian teaching gave bondservants incredible dignity based on the fact that number one, they were created in the image of God just like the master, and number two, Jesus bled for them just as much as he bled for the master. This was a 
again, you cannot begin to understand how radical this kind of statement was. Uh, but it really was to say the bond servant and master were equal. This was a radical concept that Christianity is responsible for. So incidentally, if you ever talk to a person who's secular and is yet fervently in favor of equal rights, uh, which they should be, uh, it's okay to remind them that yes, that's great. Just remember that only happens, that only exists because of Christian teaching. Uh, number two, num okay, let's move on. Let's, so what do we have, so what does the passage say? Two masters in particular, to those who have been put in authority, to leaders, whether they're at work or leaders just in general, how should they lead? Uh, number one, treat those under you justly and fairly. Now, it is no secret that working under a good leader or teacher can make all the difference in the world. And I have had both great leaders great teachers and I've had the opposite. Um, in my experience, when I, my first sort of, one of my first young adult experiences of having a great supervisor was a guy named Brian Decker. I was working at uh, UPS, I had, uh, it was a hard job, it was grinding work. Um, I, I ended up loving the work, but part of the reason I love the work is because my supervisor was a great dude. He would get his hands dirty with us. He would never shout at us. He always treated us with respect. I mean, Brian Decker, if you happen to come across this today, thank you. You were an amazing supervisor and you inspired me to want to work more. Uh, and, and it was the same for the whole crew. Everybody respected him because he treated us justly and fairly. And that's what the Bible calls supervisors to do. Make sure you show great respect to those that are under you. You are called not to uh, sort of lord over them. You're called to serve them in your leadership role. Very, very key. And then the second principle that Paul mentions uh, is he, he says for us in, in any sort of leadership position, remember how your master treats you. Now, I'm going to close with this, but this last part uh, of the verse could be taken two ways, right? I mean, on the one hand, if the master's doing a poor job or he's lording over his employees, um, then you could hear this as a threat, right? I mean, you could hear, listen, your boss is coming back one day and he's going to, I mean, he's taking skins, he's taking scalps and you better, you better treat your employees well or else you're going to get it. It could be heard as a threat, and it would be justifiable if it was the case that the master was treating his employees harshly or poorly. But on the other hand, as I read the New Testament, it occurs to me that the way God motivates us to truly good works, the way he creates truly good works, is really not by threat, but by reminder of who he is and what he has done for us in Christ. And so as I read Colossians 4.1, I hear it stated this way. Masters, remember how good and gracious your master is to you. How good has he been to you? Well, he sent his one and only son to live perfectly in your place, Matthew 5.17 to die the death that you deserved, Romans chapter 3, 23 through 25. He rose for the dead, for, from the dead for your justification, Romans 4, 25. 
He ascended victorious over the devil, the world, and your sin. Acts chapter 1. In the waters of baptism, he gave you all that he accomplished on your behalf for free, for free. Romans 6, 1 through 4. He breathed new life into you, even though you were spiritually dead, Ephesians 2. And he empowers you to pick up your cross daily by his Spirit's continual presence and work in you. Now I could go on, but you get the point. When the person you've been given responsibility over, whether it be uh, as a parent to a child or a boss to an employee, when they mess up, when they don't do the thing that you want them to do, remember how good and gracious your master is to you. Remember how your heavenly father has dealt with you. He is infinitely patient and loving towards you at all times. And so let us in our leadership roles, whoever we are, seek to do the same for those under us as servant leaders. Well, that's it for this week.